You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Uh, it's, it's great to be back. I, uh, a lot of people, uh, I've just been encouraged this morning, and I, again, will just say how, what a blessing it is to just be at, at a church uh, where you as a church family, as well as church leaders, um, just kind of gift to us as a staff these periods of rest after uh, uh, a number of years of serving, and so it was good. I, I, would, I would take the time today to tell you, people want to know, what did you do on your sabbatical? And, and uh, it would just be the most boring thing for me to tell you. Uh, it was, it really, I'm, I'll kind of unpack, unpack a lot of it in the weeks to come, but um, yeah, it was, I, I, I mean, I read a lot of, a lot of books. I watched endless hours of YouTube videos on how to fix things that I never fixed. So, yeah, but I had, I had, good, I had great plans. Man, the stuff I was going to fix would have looked amazing. Uh, so, yeah, and then we got away a little bit and uh, got to spend time together just as family and uh, my wife and I just getting time to spend together and spend time with friends. And uh, I, I, I didn't improve my golf game at all. Right, I just realized I should probably just quit golf, and so um, yeah. But and God did some God did some great things just in my own soul, my own heart as well. And uh, like I said, I'll I'll, I'll unpack that uh, later on. But Pastor Ethan reminded me that today is Communion Sunday, so I can't talk a whole lot about much of anything because we are also have communion, and there's children in the preschool that need to be dismissed, or the, they'll go crazy in there. And I haven't spoken in front of people for three months, and so I got here's so many words that are, that want to come out right now. Um, and so my, my wife is grateful that uh, I was able to, to get out of the house and come back. She's like, this morning, even this morning, my wife's amazing. She prays for me every Sunday morning before I walk out the door. Uh, but I woke up this morning and my, she, she's my, uh, honestly, my, I don't ask her to do it, but my clothes were ironed and, and picked out. My car was running for me. She, she prayed for me. And then, and then her, her words to me were, I think I'm going to decorate for Christmas when you're gone, you know, and so because I'm a Grinch and I don't like to decorate for Christmas, and so she's more than happy to have me here today, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So anyhow, uh, Psalm 42 is where we are today. Um, I want to just walk us through it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to read through the whole thing in one big chunk because uh, a psalm like this, we kind of get lost in the middle of it as we read through it, but as you're turning there, if you've noticed as you've come in today, uh, there are these kind of stations that just some pretty incredible people have set up um, uh, these uh, kind of photo ops and just memory makers. So there's some uh, record players, some old Bing Crosby records back there and an old typewriter uh, out by the office to remind you of back in the days when it took, you know, the six and a half weeks to type up your family letter, uh, and there's some stuff in the back. There's opportunities, there's cards in the pew in front of you to write down some Christmas memories that we can share because our idea with a vintage Christmas is nostalgia. Nostalgia is kind of this feeling you get of, of a longing for the way that it, that it used to be. Uh, that there's something about seeing those things, touching those things, and remembering, oh, that was so good. That, that we can then translate to what we're going to take a look at is looking back into the Psalms during this Advent season, this season of anticipation and coming to remember the good 
that God has done so that we can apply it to our lives today. Because we need to be reminded today. Uh, not who, no, none of us need to be reminded of how terrible the world is. Everybody tells us about it every day, right? And what we need to be reminded of is how good God is and that He's the Redeemer of it all. Today we're going to talk about hope, that we can look back and we can see that, uh, that, that God did great things in the past and that He will continue to do it today and into the future. So there's something about nostalgia. Yesterday we had our Embrace event. It, it's, it's our child dedication event. We don't uh, do child dedications up in front on a Sunday morning anymore. We bring people up, although as great as that was, and pray for them. We actually, our, our uh, children's ministry actually puts on a, a full event on Saturday mornings where family and friends get to come around tables and pray over their children and grandchildren and we get to kind of share in a meal together. It's just one of the greatest events that we do here at Century and I was sharing with them about just memories and, and how when we remember things, it invokes stuff in us. My daughter gives me grief all the time. She says, Dad, you're 49 years old and why do you still eat Fruity Pebbles? You know, and, and, and honestly, the reason is, is because it's nostalgia. It's because when I was a, a kid and growing up in our house, um, we had three options of cereal. That's pretty good, three options. But they were grape nuts, raisin bran, and shredded wheat. Exactly, right? If I'd have known about child services when I was a child, I would have called them, you know? I tell people that we may not have been a normal family, but we were a regular family. <laughs> and, um, and, and so uh, when, when we would go to, my, to visit my grandparents, we'd travel out of town and we'd go to their house, I knew. It was the first thing that I would do is I would run to the cupboard and I'd open it up and boom, there was a box of Fruity Pebbles in there. Grandma, grandma loved me. <laughs> and and uh, and but but now now when I when I eat fruity pebbles right you have those things that it just brings back uh, all of these incredible memories to you like I'm just reminded of you know like these crazy memories that come back as I eat it of you know hanging out with my cousins we made haunted houses in the basement of my grandma's house and riding snowmobiles you know with my cousins out on on the farm and so uh, anyhow there's just something about looking back. That reminds us, and it kind of sets us straight, like, oh yeah, things were good, they are good, and they're going to continue to be good. And that's what Psalm really 42 is all about, is we spend this season of Advent looking forward to Christmas. The original intent of Advent, it's Latin for the coming, it's anticipation, is this season that we're going to spend together is talking about hope and love and joy and peace is actually not something that that we have to look forward to because it's already here hope has already come joy actually is not something you need to go looking for because we already have it in christ love is not something that you have to go looking for because god already did it in the past. He so loved the world that He gave His Son. And peace is not something that we have to long for uh, and hope for because it's actually available right now because of what Christ has done for us. So Psalm 42, 
May this be an encouragement to us today. Before we get into the text, if you have it open and you're looking, before we even get to verse 1, I don't know about your translation, mine actually gives a little bit of an intro as to who wrote this. We oftentimes uh, think that David wrote all of the Psalms. David maybe compiled most of them. The Psalms were actually written over hundreds of years. And they were kind of pieced together and put together. If your Bible is like mine, it, uh, just before chapter 42, it says book two. The, the book of Psalms is actually broken up into five books. A lot of people think that those five books kind of correlate with the first five books of uh, the Old Testament. That as you read through each book, that the first 41 uh, books of Psalm really kind of tell uh, the Genesis story and God's relationship with man. That, that book two is Exodus and, and so on. Um, what we find also is that the author of book two is more than one author. It, it is uh, written by the sons of Korah. It's a song, a song of instruction written by the sons of Korah. And you read that and go, I have no idea. Why does this even matter? Who's Korah? Exactly. We find uh, one Korah in the book of Numbers. It's a really intriguing story. Um, He was uh, a Levite. And so as we know that um, we read about in Numbers chapter 6, Moses uh, kind of is telling all of the the tribes of Israel what their role is and, and what God has set them apart to do. And he says, but the Levites are going to be set apart to handle the holy things of God. They're going, to kind of, they're going to run the church. They're in charge of the tabernacle and, and making the sacrifices and burning the incense. And so they are going to be set apart. They are the holy ones. And uh, everybody was like, that sounds great, except Korah and a couple of buddies. Which is strange because Korah was actually a Levite himself. But he goes to Moses and he says, hey, hey I don't think this is fair. Don't you think that if God rescued all of us out of slavery and led us all, are leading us all to the promised land, aren't we all set apart? Aren't we all the holy ones? Shouldn't we all have an opportunity, all right, to be in charge of things? I just don't think this is right. And Korah kind of stirred this up among some people. And, and Moses says, how dare you question God? It's not your right. It's not your role. And so Moses says, but I'm going to show a little bit of grace. And why don't you go off and think about things? And why don't you discuss it with people? And why don't you pray about it? And I'm going to come and I'm going to visit you in your tent. And we're going to have a talk about why you're wrong, basically. And Moses shows up and Korah had already stirred up a couple hundred people in this. And the next thing that happens is that the earth starts to shake and it cracks open. The ground cracks open. And Korah and uh, these dissenters fall into the earth and God closes it back up on them again. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Great story, Pastor. Uh, um, but uh, the, the thing about it is, is that um, he was a man who questions God, God authority. He questioned God's plan. He, when... When he didn't agree with what God had to say, he felt it was his right to to question him. And God said, I'm going to make an example out of you. And then you get to Numbers 26 and it starts talking about uh, the the people of Israel and being separated to go off 
their different ways into the promised land. And Numbers 26 actually says, uh, has a little bit about Korah, that he was the one that was swallowed up alive into the earth. But the sons of Korah survived. Right? God, God didn't hold his sons responsible for what the father did. And the sons of Korah, they know where they've come from. They know what they're not supposed to step back into. And so I think that it's so great that, that they then pen in some way this incredible song. It's not perfect when we start to read it. They, they just show trans, transparency of this wrestle with the tough times that are going on in their lives. But they know. But the one thing that we're not going to do is we are not going to question God. We have learned our lesson. And so we end up with this incredibly beautiful transparent song that gets actually applied to the nation of Israel and, and, and it was actually used as a song of ascent. This is actually a psalm that would, that would be sung uh, as people would, would uh, ascend up to Jerusalem and go up to make sacrifice and uh, to worship. It begins with a, a pretty famous passage that is uh, in the 80s became a really huge song that I can't stand because I don't like the word pantheth. Uh, but it, it, here's what it says. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. It's this crying out to just say, my, my soul is thirsty. I feel like spiritually I'm dried up. I don't know if you ever feel this way. Maybe you're in a season like that right now. It's this idea of, of really a, a deer out in the wilderness, a dry wilderness, there's no water, being chased down by a predator and is just in such desperate need of a fresh and flowing, a cold, fresh, flowing stream so that they can keep on going, do what they need to do. We don't know what is the, kind of the background of as to what is taking place that they write this. They talk a lot about their enemies coming after them, um, but they know that, that times are tough. And what they know is that the answer to all of their struggle is, God, I need refreshment. I need salvation. I need to be taken care of. And then it goes on to say, you know, when shall I come and appear before God? When in reality, what, it, what that's saying is, God, when are you going to rescue me? Where am I going to be able to find these fresh streams of water that are going to revive my soul? Because, verse 3 says, my tears have been my food day and night. i got nothing. I'm empty. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These enemies are not necessarily those that are hurting them, that they're at war with. It's just these outside voices that are dragging them down. And in reality, it's, it's not that they're just saying, we don't believe in your God, uh, that, that you're a fool for believing in your God. The, the where is your God, the reason that they're mocking is because, because of the, the walking around and the depression and the mopiness of this person. Like, oh, my soul is empty and my life is so bad. And they're going, man, you sure don't live like you believe in this God that you claim to believe in. You're the one that's asking, where is your God? And then they're saying, yeah, where is he? Because obviously, uh, you're not doing anything about it. And sometimes we feel as though God has just left us, that, that, that he's not at work. And Scripture tells us that he's always present, ever present. 
at work in our life. Interesting thing about this psalm, if you, if you just scan through chapter 41, and, and you look at how God, the word, of, the word God itself is used in 41, you will find over and over and over and over again, God is addressed as Lord, all capital letters. That's the English translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the holy name of God. When Moses asked God what his name is, and God said, I am uh, kind of that translation as, as, as nobody really understood what it means to be. And so the holy name of God in Hebrew became Yahweh. And really the actual literal translation is, is just, right? I, I love that. But, but they felt that, it, that the holy name of God should never be spoken, the ancient Jews. And so uh, they, they would use this word to describe when it gets translated. It's Lord in all capital letters. But really what it means is the God who always has been. The God who always is. The God who always will be. It really talks about the God who's self-existent and, and over all things. And so they use that as the way to, to, to kind of describe God based on those characteristics. But then we get to 42, and we don't find that at all. We just find the word God. And, and that comes from, uh, is the English translation of the Hebrew name for God, Elohim. The mighty one. The strong one, our strength, the sovereign one, the powerful one, or the great rescuer. And, and we find this in this psalm that that's what they are, the writer is in need of. I need rescue. So I'm calling out to the God that I know can do this. God, where are you? Where is my rescue? I know that... You're the only one that has the power to change my, my situation and my mindset about my situation. It's, it's a psalm that says, I'm in a season of turmoil. I'm in a season of struggle. I'm in a season of emptiness. And only you, the Creator, know what it is that I need. How many of us in times of dryness, struggle, right, will feel like we've been abandoned by God uh, our soul is parched, that, that, that our first response is to go for man-made creations to take care of our problem. If you can fill in the blank. If I just had this, right, then I'd be happy. If I just had this, then I would be at peace. It could quench my thirst. And we know, right, even though we keep going back to it, we know that that as we grab a hold of these things, they don't do anything. They're really, honestly, they're polluted ponds. They just make things worse. That's why it says in verse 1, I pant for flowing streams. I need something fresh that comes down from the heavens that will give me what it is that I need, the strength that I need to continue on and do what it is that I'm supposed to do. Isaiah 40, one of the greatest Old Testament prophecies of Christ's coming to this earth uh, and rescuing us. In it, there's uh, really questions that, uh, the same questions that the people, the men, the sons of Korah are asking here in this passage. Verse 27 of Isaiah 40 says, Why do you say that you're disregarded by God? Why do you say that God doesn't care? Why do you say 
that God doesn't see you? Why do you live with no hope? Because God is an everlasting God who gives power to the faint of heart. And those who put their hope in the Lord, in other words, those who, those who have an expectation that something good is going to happen, He will renew their strength. Those that go to the flowing streams rather than the polluted ponds will get exactly what it is that they need. It's that faith alone. That God says, have in me. And when he sees it, does exactly what he says he will do. And he comes and he quenches that weariness. You can find what you need in Christ alone. So put all the other stuff aside. Give that a try. Not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. And see what happens. Verse 4 Continues on, it says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. It's just a really great suggestion. Have you tried worship? Have you tried, instead of yelling at God, have you tried, instead of cursing God, have you tried, instead of complaining about all the people around you, because that's not getting you anywhere, have you tried some refreshment for your soul? Have you tried getting together with people and just worshiping God? The past few months, it's uh, one of those things we would kind of go, where, where, where do we go? Where, what do we do on a Sunday morning, right? And, and so, you know, we went to a, a couple different worship services, but... But I'm the kind of person that if I go to a, a, another church just to, to go into worship, I'm, well, I'm looking around all the time like, what do they do? Well, we should do that. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm right back, into, I'm right back here. So we spend a lot of time, you know, at, at home, uh, which let me tell you, I can see why some of you don't come a lot, <laughs> right? It's kind of nice to wake up and, and just turn on the TV and watch a worship service, but there is nothing like getting together with your friends and your family and, and worshiping the Lord. That's what we're designed to do, to be together. We talk about it all the time here at Century, right? That a disciple of Jesus Christ lives in community. And we worship together in community. And so whatever is taking place that they're not able to be there, this writer and the writers, they just say, man, when, when, when I start to struggle, I just, you know what I want to do? I'm just, I want to get back together and, and I just want to get in the crowd and, and just sing my heart out in praise over how good God is because that, it just is the truth and it reminds me and it refreshes me for what it is that I need as I pour out my soul. When, when others are around me and the world is dragging me down, there is nothing like just praising my God. To remind myself of how good He is. And to tell Him the truth of what it is that I believe about Him. We need those reminders. I think nostalgia is a great thing. Nostalgia is why, is why no matter what channel you turn it to right now during this season and probably until, who knows, May, uh, a Christmas story is going to be on somewhere. And, and, we, and we sit and watch it, right, for the, the thousandth time. Uh, and, but because we, we love it. First of all, we love just because it was a simpler time, the 1940s, right? It just seemed like you, you watch it and it's just so basic yet 
so entertaining. And you know the story, right? Ralphie, he wants a Red Ryder BB gun. That's kind of the whole crux of the whole movie. And everybody that he tells, what do you want for Christmas, Ralphie? tells his mom, I want a Red Ryder BB gun. No, right? You'll shoot your eye out, right? And then uh, he writes a letter at school, like this is my Christmas wish list. And the teacher, no, terrible idea. You'll shoot your eye out. Goes to tell Santa, you know, boot to the face. You'll shoot your eye out, kid, right? He kicks him down the slide. And Christmas morning rolls around and Ralphie and his little brother open up all the gifts and he's just tearing through everything and there's like a toy blimp in there and model cars and a baseball bat and it kind of all ends, you know, and the dust settles and the family's sitting there on the couch and if you haven't seen it, close your ears right now. Um, uh, but um, the, the dad uh, says to Ralphie, well, was it a good morning? Yeah. Did you get everything you wanted? Yeah, I guess. And as they sit there, he goes, wait, what's that over there behind the desk? Ralphie jumps up and pulls it out, and there's his thing that he's been longing for for so long. There's his Red Rider BB gun. And I love it. We probably don't pay attention to this, um, but the gospel is in that movie. It's right there. That, that there's this longing. There's this, if I had that then that would be what would fulfill me. And there's all these other things that are there, and it's just not as fulfilling. Yeah, I mean, it's good, but it just, it's not, what I, it's not what, I, what I know I wanted. And, and when everybody else says it's foolish, the Father has already taken care of it. He takes care of His kids, Right? Don't read into any more beyond that because he does almost shoot his eye out. Um, but but, but, but that's, that's why we love it because this, this father in the movie that we see throughout the entire movie, it's set up that the guy is just crabby and he's always fighting with the bumpus' dogs and, you know, and he's, he's fighting with the furnace and he's just kind of seen as this kind of this ogre when in reality he's got this incredible heart for his children. And he, and he gives what is so desperately wanted. And the same thing goes with God, who, while we were still sinners, sent His Son Jesus to die for us. He, he is already one step ahead of us. And that's where we can place our hope that the God who has done great things in the past, He loves us. He would give up His one and only Son. He wouldn't just do that and then leave us be for the rest of our lives. I'm going to continue to give you what it is that you need. You might not know it, but you need it for the rest of your life. So the writer questions himself, really because he knows better. As you continue to read it, verse 5, he says, So why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Right? We, we deal with this all the time. It's this back and forth. Why in the world am I, am I so whatever? You can fill in the blank. Why in the world do I let people's words affect me? Why in the world am I so feeling so down and depressed? And, and, and why do I keep going back to that? Well, when I know that God is good. When I actually know from the truth of His Word and what it is that He's done for me through His Son that He does actually care and that He loves me. Why? 
Do I allow myself to be so downcast? Why am I in such turmoil? And then he convinces himself, hope in God. And I will again praise Him. My salvation and my God. See, it's great instruction for us. That, that, that in the moments where we seem to be feeling at our worst, maybe sorry for ourselves, maybe it's even because tough times have come upon us, that the thing that's going to raise us up, it says, but, but I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to put my hope in God that there is going to be a rescue that is going to come. And I will continue to praise Him because He's my salvation. He's, my, he's the only thing that's going to that's gonna pull me out of this. And, and He goes on to say, My soul is cast down within me. I love it. So therefore, I'll remember you. How many of us are so willing to do that? Like if you say, my, when you're in the, those dark moments of, your, of, of life, in those dark seasons, I'm in a tough time, so because I am then that's going to remind me of how good God is. What? I don't get it. Well, we get explained a little more as we continue on. My soul's cast down within me, so therefore I remember you. In other words, He's the only one that's going to pull me out of this from the land of Jordan and Mount Hermon and Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. See, God is a sovereign God. He is in control of all things, the good and the bad. The truth that this writer is, exclaiming, is proclaiming to us is that we have to see that, that the good and what we call bad is all from the hand of God. As James tells us, consider it pure joy when tough times come upon you, Right? When you face trials of any kind, because with the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance has to finish its work so that you could be complete. In other words, so that you can be the person that God is molding and shaping you into. And I don't know about you if you've ever done molding and shaping, but you got to do some pressing, right? You got to take what the shape that it's become and you got to move it into something else. And that's what God does in our lives. And so uh, this uh, verse 7. The roar of your waterfalls, the breakers and the waves have gone over. Your, he, he gives it an identity. It's you, God. I understand that when I'm feeling like the waves of life are washing over me, I'm going to trust and know that it comes from you, and I'm going to praise you because it means that you love me because you want to do something greater in me, that you're molding me and shaping me into the person that you want me to be, that I can serve you in a better way, that I'd be more obedient to you, that I'd be a brighter light to the world. So let your breakers in your waves come. Let me drown in my troubles because I know that deep calls to deep. That when I am at my worst, that the only one that can rescue me is the one that can reach down into the depths of my soul and pull me out. It's a little bit of Jonah and the whale story here. So in the middle of the tough times, I, I, my hope is not a, 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 an unknown expectation. It's a confidence God, I know you're going to rescue me out of this. Because that's what you do. That's who you are. Romans 5.8 says that while we were hopeless, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That God loved us that much. 
that even in the midst of our rejection of him, that, that he said, but I love you and I care about you and I want to save you. And if God can rescue us from our worst condition, in our worst situation, destined for hell and separation from him forever, trust me, he's going to pull you out of everything else that this world might throw at you. He goes on to say, by day the Lord commands His steadfast love and at night His song is within me. It's, it's during the day when the sun shines, when things are bright in my life, it's really easy to love God. Right? Because I can see what's happening. When the sun's out, I know where I'm going. But at night, it's in the darkness, the situations that we're in that get dark. And he says, so it's at night that I will sing the praises of my God. Are you able to do that? Are you able, in the middle of the tough times, to, to go back and, and like all that has been written, to continue to pursue the fresh and flowing streams? Because you know that, that God's done it in the past and He's going to continue to do it in your life today. I will remember who He is and I will praise His name. And then the last few verses are this back and forth, this struggle of, God, where are you? No, 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 no. I can't, I can't ask that because I, I know you're here, God. I know that you, that you are my rock. I know that you are my rescuer. Verse 9 says, why have you forgotten me? And then he will, but, but wait, wait, why, why do I go on crying about this? As with a deadly wound in my bones and my enemies taunt me, they say to me all day long, where is your God? And, and then the response is, but why are you so cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? A truer translation is, why do you let yourself get so discouraged? And an even better translation of that is, why have you become so easily agitated by what others say and do to you? Hope in God. Because He is your salvation. He is the Elohim. He is the rescuer. So, so let, me just, uh, let me just give you three points of application if you haven't been able to apply anything yet. First of all, we learn from the past. We learn from our past. And then we don't repeat it. Uh, again, the sons of Korah knew where they came from. But they weren't going to let what their father did uh, define them. They weren't going to let what people said about their dad, wow, you're the sons of Korah, you're good for nothing. Right? They, they, they also didn't, didn't fall into the trap of how dare God do this to our dad, our grandfather, whatever many generations they came after it. They, they changed their focus. They weren't defined by what their father had done because they became defined by who their heavenly father was and what he had done in their lives. They were tempted to. We read about it, but they're just being honest. They're human. Right? God, where are you? No, 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 no. It's not my job to question God. Right? They learned. They learned from the past. It's not my job to question. It's my job to praise. In the good times and in the bad times, to maintain my focus is that no matter what is happening, I will keep my focus on 
God. My hope is in Him that He is going to continue to do great things. Why are you downcast, O my soul? But I will praise Him. John 7.37, Jesus says, I will rescue you and I will promise you flowing streams in your heart. God has given us exactly what it is that we need in a life where we're parched, when it feels like the world is closing in around us, when we need uh, not these disgusting ponds that we so often go to. We need fresh and flowing waters. And Jesus says, follow me, believe in me, and I will give you exactly what it is that you need. If you thirst, come to me and you can drink because if you believe in me, then out of your heart will flow living waters. I love it. Here's what I love about that, because it's not just about you'll be refreshed, but out of your heart will flow living waters. In other words, you follow Jesus, and not only do you get this incredible um, rescue from God, but you also bring refreshment to the people around you who need it so desperately. Learn from the past. Jesus came and gave his life up for us. We then, in turn, praise Him, worship Him, and then we do the same for others. Question the present, number two. Like the psalmist here, we have to always question our cynicism. Why am I doing this? Why am I acting this way? Why is my soul so downcast? Why have I made it my mission to make everybody around me's soul downcast? Right? Because it's not fair that i got to live in a gray cloud, so let me just bring that with me. Right? Because if I have to live in it, you all got to live in my stink. And we have to question, stop, and go, but why? Why do I do this? I can't let the cynicism, my doubt, guide me. It takes and pays such a, such a dark toll on our souls. And that's honestly, that's where we're at as a people today. The last few years, we've become so angry and so cynical and we take it out on other people and our souls have become so dark our role is when we're having these moments is to really check ourselves like the sons of Korah and just say whoa 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 but but why but why do I why am I doing this why am I why am I so dark when when I know that God is light that he has brought joy in my life that he's rescued me and redeemed me and and he is the overcomer of all of these things in this world I'm going to focus on him and that's what God wants from us he says I, w- I want you to go deeper dig deeper when the tough times come dig deeper than the surface than the stuff that's just happening here in this world because this world is going to pass away these things that are happening around you if if we believe it are given to us by god to mold us and to shape us so why not embrace it but god says but i want to go deep let's get into your heart why do you let these things affect you god says "I'll, i'll reach down if you let me and i'll pull you closer to myself because he loves us. I want you to hear that this morning. If you don't know that, if you've never believed that, that God loves you so much, he gave up his son for you. That's what Christmas is all about. God came to this earth to rescue you from yourself. 
didn't come to rescue you from the people around you or the things of this world and whatever it is that we always like to preach about, materialism, and I didn't come. He came to rescue you from your sin, separation from Him. And so with that, we now can have a hope for the future because of what God has done in the past, that He's always proven Himself, that He sent His Son for us. He says, and I will give you a great future Believe in me. If you're doubtful about the future, if you're worried about it, if you've given up, as the psalmist says, why ask yourself, why am I so downcast? Because God always does great things. Hope in God, who has been, who is, and will continue to be my salvation. We can hope in the unknown future because of the reality of the past. God always proves Himself. You still here? God's done a great work in your life. He hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on Him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we should never give ourselves over to despair because through Christ we can never be destroyed no matter what happens in our life. Death might be at work within us and around us But life at work through Christ is even stronger. We'll always be victorious. Don't focus on what's seen and lose hope. But look to what is unseen, Paul says, and what is to come. That the Father has already purchased for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's our job to remember And live into it. So today as we come to the table with our our communion elements, it is a time for us to remember in preparation for that. Let's just pause, reflect on the words that we have heard through God's Word and ask from Him, what is it that you want me to do?